Are you ready for the word? All right, so let's open the word. And I do have to repent. Um, I last week said that uh, we would be finishing the book of Romans. <laughs> and once I got into looking at the chapter, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, we will be finishing in three weeks. Uh, but next week we have a guest speaker. So we're going to have Scott Hinkle come next week, and he's an evangelist. I, uh, it's very important that the five-fold ministry minister and to equip. You need all five-fold ministry gifts. You need the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, teacher. And so I stand the opposite of a pastor, teacher. And so we have the apostolic come in. We're going to have Jerry Williamson come in, stands in the office of an apostle. And so we have Marcus coming in the, is the office of prophet, and we have Scott Hinkle, the evangelist. And so you need all of the fivefold ministry gifts to equip you and raise you up into your calling. And so good things coming. So let's uh, open to Romans chapter 16 and look at verse 1. And before we get into it, let's, let's come to this. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for the word of God, and we thank you that it's alive and living and it's our spiritual meal. We're going to receive it today, be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher that you would anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, we just thank you so much for ministering to, uh, uh, the word to each individual person that they hear from you today. And only you can do this miracle and believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. Usually I read through the entire section uh, that we're going through, but there's a lot of names in here, and so I'm just going to hold off and read it one time. I'm going to impress you one time. Uh, I, w are they pronounced correctly? I don't know. We'll have, we'd have to raise them up from the dead and ask them, how do you pronounce that name? And so I'm going to give it my best Oklahoma shot at that, at the, some of these names. Praise God. All right, so let's go to verse 1. It says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea. And so we, we have here a lady named Phoebe that Paul's going to mention. Matter of fact, chapter 16 is filled with people that Paul's worked with. And so Paul always believed in working in teams. And so you may have heard this before, that working alone in the ministry has, has some benefits to it. But survival's not one of them. And so again, if you're going to be in the ministry, you need to not work alone, you need to develop a team. And Paul always sought out and developed teams. He always was mentoring somebody. And so who are you mentoring? Is there someone younger than you, not as far along the path that you're pouring into? Well, that's part of, the, of a Christian life is you're raising up the next generation. You're pouring into someone else. And then who is your mentor? Do you have a mentor? And so, again, we should have someone a little further down the road. We have someone a little further behind us that we're ministering the Word of God to. And that just brings a health, a health to our Christian walk. And so, it's like, and so Paul believed in teams. And so he's going to mention person after person after person. And these are the ones that are in Rome and that somehow he had come across and worked with in time past. And so this lady, Phoebe, actually he's worked with for three and a half years in Corinth. And so she's been a, a key leader in Paul's ministry team. Usually when you talk about Paul's ministry team, you look at Titus and you look at Timothy and you look at, at some of the men that he, he walked with, Silas and different ones. But there's a whole host of ladies that also worked with Paul. Say, yay, ladies. Yay. Hallelujah. 
Matter of fact, we're not going to get away from it. Paul's going to mention 28 names and 10 of them are women that are going to be in the ministry team. And so today we're going to talk about women in the ministry. Amen. And, and we're titling this today as, as Looser and Let Her Go Free. Say looser and let her go. Amen. Matter of fact, somewhere in Psalms it says, Mighty is the host of, of women that will proclaim the good news of the gospel. And so uh, I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, who's a servant of the church in Sincrea. The word Phoebe means bright, brilliant, and radiant. And so no doubt this lady was filled with the light of Jesus shining to other people and said it was a servant. Look at the word servant, not a good translation. It comes from the Greek word diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. It's the feminine form of it, and she's called a deaconess. And she was a deaconess in the church. And so she's in leadership. She's in ministry as a female. And so she's serving the church in Sincrea. Look at Sincrea. It's a southern port of Corinth. Paul established the church in Corinth, but then there were satellite churches that came out of it. And so one of the satellite churches was a little southern port. It was a satellite or a suburb of Corinth. And so uh, this church got started, and we're going to find out that she was a servant there, and she was one of the chief leaders of this church, if not the pastor of the church. And so we're going to see this. So look, it says the church of Sincrea. And it says that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business that she has need of. Matter of fact, what's so important about Phoebe is she's carrying the letter of Romans. She's the one that Paul handed to trust out of everybody on his ministry team. He turns to Phoebe and says, I'm trusting you with this book of Romans. That you're going to be able to get it there. And so she took the book of Romans and handed it off to the church at Rome. And so this lady is quite important to Paul and says, and that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business. So she's on business for Paul and the church that she has need of. And indeed, she has been a helper of many of myself also. Say helper. helper. Terrible translation. The translators, the men who translated this didn't have any guts. The Greek word says one who stands in front as a leader. One who stands out front as a leader and says she's a leader in the church and they didn't have the guts to tell her that she's a leader and they just said, well, she's a helper. <laughs> say, say, let her go. Let her, go. Let her loose. Let her loose. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, this brings up, well, pastor, I've heard for years women aren't supposed to be in spiritual leadership because Paul said so. Oh, really? Well, we're going to look at that today. I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at several verses today that the church has used and men have used to put women into chains and, and have not allowed them to be used in ministry, and they're totally off base. And so we're going to see what does the scripture actually say. And so we'll go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. This is one of the verses that are used to tell ladies that you are to shut up, 
be in the background, help out with children. You're not supposed to have any leadership or any ministry of the word in the church. So look at 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse 34. It says, let your women keep silent. Okay, ladies, here we go. That's, that's a word right here. Paul said it. Let, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak. But they are to be submissive, as the law says. Well, let's stop there. And let me say something to you, that in the Greek, the word woman and the word wife is the same Greek word. There's not two words for the word woman and the word wife. There's only one Greek word that's translated either way. And context is the key to interpret which one should be used. And in this verse, we're going to find out it's mistranslated. And we'll prove it by the context of the verse. And so again, the Greek word is gune, G-U-N-E. Say, let gune be loosed. So gune is either woman or wife, and we're going to see in context, it has, the context is king to Bible interpretation. It says, let your women or gune keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. Well, let's stop there. What does the Bible tell us over and over again is that who, uh, what woman should be submissive to what man? The wife should be submissive to her own husband. Is there scripture that you can find through the Bible that says all women are to be submissive to all men? No, you walk in the door, you see a guy, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir. We don't see any scripture like that. And, but it says to, that they're to be submissive, which is the first clue speaking of the husband-wife relationship. And it says, let your women or gune keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak for they are to be submissive as the law says look at verse 35 and if they want to learn something let them ask their own husbands them speaking to the women to be silent who are them those are the ones to if they want to learn something let them ask their own husbands at home for it's shameful for women gune so this should be, let your wives be keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but they'll be submissive. If they want to learn something, let them, the wives, ask their own husbands at home, for it's shameful for the wives to speak in church. What's taking place in this verse is that, that women for the first time are being elevated to equal status with men. And for decades and centuries and time uh, before, women are not even really allowed in the public service in the synagogue in the early uh, the the early uh, meetings religious services they're not allowed in there but now all of a sudden they are being saved and brought into equal status with men in Christ Jesus and for the first time they're being let in equally with the men for religious instruction and most of the women have had no background in religious instruction at all and they're ignorant who's abraham who's moses what is it about this what jonah got ate by what's going on with this and so what they're doing in the middle of the church service they're reaching with fred what is he talking about and he'll answer you know like that and he's well, fred what do you say there I, you know and it was interrupting the church service and so this verse is talking about the fair sex needs to not talk during church. And so this is really what it's talking about. And if you want to learn something, ask at home, not in the middle of the church service. And so let's go on to the next one that's a famous one. In 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 5. But every woman 
Now, now, first of all, before we go to the second one, look at 1 Corinthians 11.5 about women being silent in the church. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.5. Now, but every woman who prays or prophesies, say prophesies, prophesies. with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, for that is one and the same, and the head were shaved. Back then, the, his, the, the culture was as a woman wore head covering as a sign of submission to authority, and that was what Paul called it later on. He calls it a custom. We have no other custom. Customs come, customs go, but the word of God remains the same, and authority and submitting to authority remains, that principle remains with us today. But the head coverings is a custom of the day. And, but Paul says if every, if every woman who prays or prophesies, say prophesies. prophesies. Last time I checked, it's hard to prophesy when you're silent. <laughs> Think on these things. In, this is talking about in the church service. Praying in the church service and prophesying in the church service. So, so this is not an admonition over the one we just looked at is to be women are to be totally silent and never minister because how could she prophesy? And so say, say looser and let her, go. let her go. Hallelujah. All right. First Timothy 2. Here's the second one that's used to shackle the late half the body of Christ for ministry. 1 Timothy 2, look at verse 11. Let a woman, woman, let a woman learn in silence. There you go. Well, keep reading. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. So who is a woman to be submitted to? Her husband. Is all women to submit to all men? Let, the, let a gune... Learn to be silenced with all submission. I do not permit a gune to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. This word man is a ner, A-N-E-R, and that's also translated husband. And so I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. So this verse is like, you know, women should not teach men. Women are to teach women. So women can teach women's Bible studies, but women can't teach men. And so according to this verse, that's what it's saying. But read the verse 13 because he's going to apply this to Adam and Eve, the first married couple. And so it's speaking of marriage. So it should be translated, let a wife learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a wife to teach or have authority over her husband, but to be in silence. For Adam was first forth, then Eve. And so what is this verse? In the first verse we looked at, women are asking the men for instruction. This verse is saying that you aren't supposed to instruct your husband in church because the pastor's teaching on something about, about how you ought to treat, uh, especially how you treat your wife, and then she goes over and say, Fred? <laughs> you hear that, Fred? You need to do that. Oh, you hear that, Fred? Well, are you doing that? No, no, no. Matter of fact, if your husband's not doing the word, the best thing to do is to be quiet. Instead of preaching at him. Matter of fact, 1 Peter 3.1, if your husband's not really following along, as being as spiritual as you want him to be, look at 1 Peter 3.1. Wives. Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Sounds like what we've been talking about. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word 
Say without a word. Without a word. Oh, but I have many words. <laughs> many, many words. Without a word, maybe one by the conduct of their wives. Live it as an example. Win them, win them with, with kindness. You know what? And if all else fails, give them a sandwich. I mean, men are pretty simple. All they need is sex and a sandwich. Hallelujah. Things you learn in church. Here it says, I do not permit a woman to teach. So for centuries, women, you're not allowed to teach. Now you may give up and give an exhortation or give a testimony or an encouragement, but don't get into teaching because you'll violate the word here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, what about, look, look in Romans 16. Let's go back to our chapter and let's move on. And Paul starts out with a woman. And then the second one, a woman's mentioned right after that. So let's go to verse 3. It says that you may receive, uh, verse 3 says, uh, greet Priscilla. Say Priscilla. Priscilla. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, Priscilla and Aquila are a married couple, a ministry couple. Both minister and teach the word of God. And so look at Priscilla. Who's mentioned first? Aquila? Priscilla is mentioned first. And so as a matter of fact, that numerous times Priscilla in the scriptures mentioned before Aquila. It's Priscilla and Aquila. There's a few times you see Aquila and Priscilla, but more often than not, you see Priscilla and Aquila that she's taking the forefront in the ministry. And so that's like uh, Joyce Myers, you know, and, and uh, her husband Dave follows along with the briefcase and, and bless God, but they work together and she submitted to him, but he'll, he, he's, uh, he's let her loose. Say looser, loose, and let her go. Let her go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so he meets, actually he meets Aquila first. And so Aquila is born in Pontus, that's northeast of Galatia, and so he has the same trade that Paul has, and so Aquila is a tent maker. And there's a time when Paul's ministry, the funds, ministry funds dried up, and so Paul didn't sit around waiting for money to show up, he, he went and got a job, J-O-B. That's not Job, I'm staying far away from it. No, job. So if you're, if you're not where money's flowing in to support you in the ministry, what do you need? A job, a secular job. And that's there's many in the ministry that have bivocational. I'm bivocational. I, I'm not full-time here yet, and so I'm working another job, but I also work here. And so it says, and so Paul had to get a job, and Paul had uh, in his life, he had gained a trade, and he had gained an ability to make tents. And so when he needed a job, he went and used the skills he's learned. And so he went and started making tents. And while he was working making tents, next to him was Aquila. And so he meets this man, and he's a fellow Christian. And there's a connection that he makes on a secular work job, work site. 
And so, again, if you're called to a secular job, there's connections there. Even if you're in ministry, there can be connections at that work job, that work environment, that secular job. So he meets Aquila, and he meets his wife, uh, Priscilla. And so Paul met them in Corinth, and Corinth, while, you know, the money was drying up in Corinth, because Corinth was a pretty stingy place, stingy congregation. Paul was there three and a half years, and they never gave Paul one red denarii. Not one red cent. They never gave him anything. He says, you know what? I, I served you, and I didn't demand that you meet my needs. Would have been nice if you did, but they didn't give him anything. Matter of fact, he was staying there by off what the, Philippi, the Philippian church would give him. From time to time, the Philippian church would send him money. Matter of fact, he says, out of everybody that was in my ministry, the only partner I've ever had was the church at Philippi. That's sad. That would sow into who was sowing into him. And so, so Philippi, and so, but the Philippian church has not given in a little while. Then Paul talks about in the church, of, uh, when he wrote the book of Philippians, he mentions in chapter 4, it says, you know what, for a time period, it wasn't your season to be able to give, but I just received your offering. And so thank you, and I have an abundance now. But there was a time when he didn't have abundance, and that's why he said, you know, I learned to be content when I have much or when I don't have a whole lot. When things are up, things are down, my, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so there was a time where Paul's ministry funds dried up, and so he had to go to work, and so he was a tent maker. But then the Philippian church gave this big offering, and all of a sudden it freed him to full-time ministry. And so he, he quit the secular job and, and was a minister full-time in Corinth. And so he ministered with Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. And so um, it says here, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So I want you to see something here. Go, um, go to the book of Acts. And let's see that in Acts 18, we're going to find out that Priscilla was used to teach a man. <gasps> I just sucked the air out of the room. I'm sorry. I'll put it back. Acts 18, look at verse 24. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he only knew uh, of John's baptism, but didn't know that there was a believer's baptism, and didn't understand the New Testament truths accurately. But he was eloquent, and he was preaching all he knew according to what he knew. And that's all we're called to do, is to preach what we know, how we know it, the best way we know how, and that's Apollos. But look at verse 26. So he began to speak boldly, and this is Apollos, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, Aquila took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Not, well, that's a clueless translation. It didn't say that. It didn't say Aquila took him aside. It said they. Say they. They's more than one. They took him aside and explained to him. Priscilla was teaching a man and a minister the way of the word of God more accurately. Say looser. And let her go. There's ladies in this, in, this, in this church that you've called, God's called you to stand in front and be a leader and to be a minister of the word of God and in front of men. And you don't have to apologize. 
Now, if you're married, make sure you're in submission to your husband. And, and if you're, you're not the pastor of the church, make sure you have authority under the pastor. But you know what? Here in this church, I give you uh, freedom if, if, if you're called by God, anointed by God, and, and we sense it's time for you to go, then, then you're allowed to minister in this church as a woman. Do you know we have female ushers here? We have female ushers, probably in this service. Matter of fact, we do. Cat, she's a, she's a, stand up. She's one of our ushers. She does a great job. We have ladies leading life groups, teaching. Miss Ellie is going to get up and teach some guys that show up. You know, and so we're called by God. It's the anointing, not our sex. Do you have the anointment for the appointment? How, how many of you say, you know what, Joyce Myers, I'm sorry. You're, you just can't do what you're doing. Too bad she's doing it. <laughs> and you can't deny the anointing. Just do it. Function in the unction. Don't get up and apologize. Well, I'm a woman. I know. And you. Well, there's some bubbas that are not going to be happy. But Bubba's going to get set free by the anointing. Amen. If Bubba humbles himself and receives. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to move on here. All right, let's go back. Verse 4. Aquila and Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all of the churches of the Gentiles. Paul said, actually, the Greek says that they... they uh, they put their neck under. They put their neck under. What did they put their neck under? They actually put it under the chopping block. There's two types of executions in the ancient world. One was crucifixion for those that were non-Roman citizens. And then there was beheading if you're a Roman citizen. Do you know Paul was not uh, crucified like Peter? Why? Peter wasn't a Roman citizen. He was crucified. Matter of fact, upside down. But he chose to do that. But, uh, but Paul was beheaded because he's a Roman citizen. Well, obviously, Aquila and Priscilla, also being Roman citizens, says they put their neck into the chopping block many times and sticking up for me and being with me and ministering, they could have been executed for what they're doing. And so they risked their own life to whom not only I give thanks, but likewise the rest of the churches of the Gentiles. And so verse 5 says, likewise, greet the church that's in their house. And so in Priscilla and Aquila's house, there's a church that was meeting there. And so it's unsure whether they were pastoring this church or not, but a church was meeting in their home. Well, let me talk about house churches here. Because there's some people that teach that if you want to be truly New Testament, you have to meet in a house. And anything organized like this... You're not New Testament. Well, let me, let me help you out a little bit. First of all, in the ancient world, there were no public buildings that were just open for rent and use. They didn't have those things. And so they had no other place besides a synagogue or homes to meet in. So there you go. That's why they met in, in home churches. And so, uh, but you know what, in the home churches, and it's almost like, you know what, it just needs to be so organic and loosey-goosey. Anything that, that, that has a leader and has order to it, you know, that's just not New Testament. 
What does it say in 1 Corinthians? All things will be done decently and in order. And Paul says, in all the churches, I, adorn, I ordained elders in every church, bishops, deacons. There was an order to the, to the early church. There was somebody that was qualified to be teaching the Word of God in the church, meeting in these homes. Was it, well, let's just all meet together, and let's just whatever happens, happens. And so what do you think the Scripture says? Well, what do you think it says? Well, what do you think it says? And you're more confused leaving it than you started. So it's fine to have a house church, but make sure you have someone called of God and that's been submitted to authority and it has some maturity to them and that there's order there. And so verse 5 says, Likewise, greet the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apeneatus. I have no idea if I just said that right. <laughs> Why would you call your kid Apeneatus? He's going to have trouble in school. Greet my beloved, who's the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. So he's one of the first ones that Paul led to the Lord in Corinth, was this man Apeneatus, or whatever it was. But look at beloved, he calls him beloved. Paul is uh, often will use terms of endearment or relational terms with ministry partners. I want to bring out something here that Paul had a, a, a relationship first model of ministry. Say relationship, relationship first, first model of ministry. That was his DNA, is that he put relationship before the work. Want to prove it to you? Okay. Go, go, to, go to Colossians 4, look at verse 7. Paul had a relationship-based culture in ministry. Look at Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus. Why would you call your kid Tychicus? Here, Tychicus, Tychicus, Tychicus. I don't know. Tychicus, a, a, a beloved brother, say beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. So he calls him a brother, a minister, and a servant. Which one did he put first? Brother. Brother. Before he's a minister and before he's a servant, that servant, that minister next to me is my brother. And he put that in the forefront. Look in 1 Thessalonians 3, look at verse 2. And, and I'm going to show you four here, but there's multiple other ones. I don't have time. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. And sent Timothy, our brother, say brother, brother. and minister of God and fellow labor. Say brother, brother. Minister, minister, fellow labor. Which one did he put first? The brother relationship. Go to Philemon. <laughs> I'm sorry, Philemon. One one. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend. Say, beloved friend, beloved. and fellow laborer. Beloved. Which one did he put first? Beloved friend before a laborer. Now here, look at Philippians 2.25. This is so important, this verse, that you understand this verse. We're going to pull some things out and we're going to talk about the, the model DNA of ministry that we all should have as ministers in the New Covenant. And it's rare. It's rare. Philippians 2, look at verse 25. 
Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, say my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. My brother, worker, soldier. Which one did he put first? Brother. Let me say something to you, that in a church, all three aspects are needed and should be present. There should be a relationship, there should be work to be done, and there's also submission and authority. And so I'm not saying one, that one, these other ones should be thrown away. No, there's work to be done. Tell someone there's work to be done. And for husbands at home. Yes, honey. You know, th- things, things run really good at my house because I run things at my house. The dishwasher, the vacuum cleaner, and the washing machine. And probably a few other things. She said, oh, yeah, really? Okay, praise God. I was doing laundry yesterday. I don't know if I, the hot and cold got together good, but some things may be pink that shouldn't be pink. Say, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. These are three cultures. A relationship culture, a worker culture, and a soldier culture. And in every church, in every ministry, in every home, one of these cultures dominate. Or predominant, it's in the forefront. Either it's a relationship culture, or it's a worker culture, or it's a soldier culture. One In every church, in every ministry, one of these is predominant. Relationship, worker, soldier. What's a worker culture? That's where you see people for what they can do for you. You see them as resources, human resources. And so they're there to, to, to do work, to get production done. And if they cease producing, then you, you get rid of them. That was Jesus, wasn't it, with his 12 disciples? For the first three and a half years, they were the disciples. All they were good for is getting in arguments about who's the greatest. Then he'd say, pull up a rock, it's a teachable moment. Those in the kingdom are the ones serving. Matter of fact, they were all bunglers all to the very end. And the only person that was probably worthwhile was Judas. He had a business mindset. I mean, he, he wanted to grow. He had, you know, he was into... Increase, but he was stealing, but, you know. Wow, Jesus cut them all. You know, you're not producing. You're out of here. It's Jesus, isn't it? How many, how many, it's done in the kingdom that way? It's a worker culture. And then the, the most unhealthy one is a soldier culture. That's command to control. It's intimidation. Threats, fear, and if I sniff, you're not, under, you're not under my authority, I'll cut you at the knees. Multitudes of ministries and churches have these cultures, but you know what? The kingdom culture is a relationship culture first. Yes, there's work to be done. Yes, there's submission and authority. But when someone knows that you care for them and love them, they'll work for you. It's called working capital. Relationship, investing into people. 
And when it's time to work, they'll want to work for you. And if it's time for them to go out under assignment, they'll fight hell with an empty water pistol for you. <laughs> I teach my leaders, and Jeremy can attest that I teach my leaders that when your volunteers come in, the first thing is you don't talk to them about what their assignments and what they're supposed to be doing. The first thing you're to ask them is, what's new with you? Well, why, why wouldn't I tell them to ask them how they are? Fine. Great. Okay, good. Well, let's talk about it. No, I ask, what's new with you? And it makes them think, oh, what is new? I'm moving. Well, how's that? That, that sounds stressful. Oh, it no, can I pray for you about that? They're your brother. I mean, you should care about them. Because that, that person under that helmet next to you is your brother or your sister. And so we should care for one another. And so if you're called to be a leader in the kingdom, please establish the DNA. Because as a leader, you establish the DNA and culture of your organization. And you'll set the culture of your own relationship with God. Because many Christians have a relationship with God and they feel God, it's a worker culture. That I'm a servant of God and I'm here to do whatever he tells me to do and I'm producing and if I don't produce and I don't do it good enough, he might be letting me go soon, so I better try to hard. A lot of multitudes of Christians, not you, multitudes of Christians out there live that way. And some, and some Christians see God as the divine commander and they live in fear of God. They step out of line, crap. And so if you have that culture towards God, a worker culture, you'll emulate that and you will, you will multiply that down line. If you have a soldier culture with God, you're going to push that down line and you'll be insecure. You ready to go back to, we're never finished. Maybe three weeks, four weeks from now. No, no we'll, we'll get it done. Get her done. All right. Let's go back. Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Greet my beloved Apeneatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Uh, greet Mary, another woman. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. And so Paul valued women and utilized men, women in the ministry. Greet Andronicus and Junia, another lady. My countrymen and my fellow prisoners. They were fellow Jewish people who are of the note among the apostles. And so it's unclear here in the Greek whether they were of note among those who were apostles knew them or they were apostles. It's possibility that this, these two, Andronicus and Junia, were of note among the apostles being apostles. And so here, if that's the case, then Junia, Junia was a, an apostle. But say, note among the apostles who were in Christ before me. Say, let looser and let her go. And my fellow prisoners, they had gone to jail. Paul had been in jail a number of times. We know in Philippi had been in the clink. And other times he had been in prison beyond the times we've seen in Scripture. It says, and they were, they were thrown into the, into the clink with, with Paul. And it says, who were of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So they were, they were saved before Paul. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Say beloved. beloved. 
Again, he's speaking a term of endearment about Amplius. And so, uh, my beloved in the Lord. And so, look at verse 9. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and Stachius, my beloved. Say beloved. Beloved, beloved, beloved. You know, you need to tell people much more that you love them before you correct them. You know, in Corinthians, a church, he had to correct a lot. You know, the word, my brethren and beloved are used three times more to that church than anybody else. Because he would basically say, you know what? You're my beloved, you're my brother, and I'm about to tell you something you need to straighten up in this area. Oh, by the way, I love you. So when I call you beloved brother, <laughs> what? What? What did I do? So give him a love sandwich. I love you. Let's straighten this thing up here. Oh, yeah, by the way, I really love you. Verse 10. Greet Apelles, Apelles, I'm sorry. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Approved means proven genuine after testing. Ask someone, have you, been, have you, got, have you made it through the test? In the ministry, you've got to test somebody before you put them in leadership. You know the worst thing to do, if, and I'm speaking to a lot of ministry leaders, I'm giving you principles in leadership. You know the worst thing to do when you want a leader that leads people is to say, who wants to volunteer? And then that person comes up, it's the last person in the world you want them to lead. And, and then you say, anybody else? <laughs> anybody else? How's that going to go off? No, you select them. You select them, and so who should you select? The faithful ones. So you, you need to give them something small to do, faithful in least, be, be, be faithful in much. So start them off. So if, someone, so if someone comes in here and wants to start out behind the pulpit, I'll say, let's start off in the bathrooms, like I did at Grace Church. Bobby and I started the ministry with 1 John, 2 John, 3 John ministry. I cleaned the first toilet, the second toilet, the third toilet, and then I got a revelation. What it meant to be humble and to be a servant and to serve other people. And I didn't start here. Even if you've pastored 30 years, and you show up on my doorstep and say, I want it behind the pulpit, I say, let's start greeting or something like that. Because the Bible says, don't put a, don't put a novice into leadership. Well, not, they're not novice. They've been in the ministry 30 years. Well, that word novice in the Greek is a new plant. That could mean someone that's brand new, born again, or someone from the outside that comes into your organization you don't know and gets planted newly in your organization. You need to know who labors among you and test their, test their character and say, would you be willing to greet at the door? And if they're not willing to greet at the door, they're like, <laughs> do you not know who I am? Do you not know who I am? You've heard it before, the person at the airport gets mad they can't get on the plane. Do you not know who I am? Yeah. Do you know who I am? And she gets on and says, hey, someone up here doesn't know who they are. Will you please come collect them? But someone's humble says yes. 
Now, because of my mind, Pastor John back here has passed over 30 years. So he came in, and, and he didn't ask for the pulpit. But he just started serving in the greeters and, and in the welcome center. And, and, and uh, you know, pa- Pastor John, raise your hand. Pastor John back there. Been a pastor over 30 years. But he didn't come in here and go, well, you know who I am and who I need to be. No, you don't do that. And, and, and he's sowing awesome seed for his future. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. <laughs> Why can't they call him like Steve? <laughs> Jim. Verse 11. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus. Narcissus actually means narcotic. Greet those in the household of the, of the, nacar, the, the narcotic. Narcissus is not who he's talking. He's talking about greet those of the household of Narcissus. Narcissus was not a good guy in, in history. It was a, he was a very rich Roman who served under Claudius. He was mostly a wicked unbeliever, and he was Claudius's postmaster. He controlled what correspondence came to Caesar, and people would pay him large bribes to ensure the correspondence got to him. Because, so he became very wealthy. When Claudius died, he served under Nero, but soon found dishonor and was made to commit suicide. So the narcotic left. Look at 12. Greet Trithena and Trithosa. These were sisters, and most think they're twins. Trithena and Trithosa, who labored in the Lord. Co-workers, ladies. Greet beloved Persis. That's another lady who labored much in the Lord. Verse 13, greet, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Not his literal mother, but his mother in the Lord. You know, if you lack a mother, your mother's passed away, or your father, you're lacking a father, your father's passed away, or you know what, you don't have a brother, you didn't grow up with a brother, and boy, I always wish I had a brother. Or you don't have a sister, boy, I always wish I had a sister. That's what the church is for. There's many fathers, there are many mothers, there are many brothers and many sisters. The church makes up for deficiencies. That's why we need one another. And so Paul says, his mother and mine, verse 14, greet, whatever that person's name is, a syncretus, Phlegon, Hermas, and Potrobos, and Hermes, man, and the brethren who are with them. Verse 15, greet... Philogus and Julia and Nerus and her sister, his sister in Olympus, that's a woman, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and the churches of Christ greet you. I was a singles pastor for 16 years prior to coming to Oklahoma, and the, 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 the guy, the, what did I say? Coming from Oklahoma to here. I know what I'm worse state on in. Okay. So I uh, so we, we pastored this singles group, whatever, and so we had some guys in there, and the only verse that they could remember in the scripture is greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> Favorite verse. And they were to be a doer of the word. 
And so we were like, no. Matter of fact, the early church stopped this practice not too long because it wasn't so holy anymore. So greet one another with a holy kiss and the churches of Christ greet you. So basically what we're saying today is Paul worked with teams and he acknowledged others. If you as a leader can't acknowledge others, then, then there's something wrong with your relationship with God and, and your insecurity. Matter of fact, if, any, if anybody serves anywhere in this church, I want you to stand your feet. And I say thank you. Joanne, I say thank you. This ministry is not about me and Joanne. It's not. And our ministry is to equip you for your ministry. You're not here for my ministry. We're here for you. And, and you're the important ones. You can get by. If I didn't show up, you can, someone else can get up here and teach something. And, and they're anointed and it would be awesome and can move on. But all you guys left... We preached in an empty building, and things wouldn't get done. And, and I wanted to, you know, start naming different people on our team. But you know what? You end up going to forget somebody, and I don't want to offend, and then something for goods, for wrong. But I appreciate all of you guys. We love you. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. And we need a team, and we're body. And, Lord, half of our body or more are female. And Lord, I thank you that you've shown today, Lord, that these verses have been used to hinder and to, to chain the ladies, Lord, of the church, Lord, no longer. Loose her and let her go. And you'd say, Pastor, I'm a lady out here and I'm called, I feel like I'm called to be a leader, one that stands out in the front and, and lead, and, and even men, and I'm called to do that. But today I realize, you know what, I don't need to apologize I don't need to say, well, can I or can I? I need to step into the anointing, step into the call, and I'm going to step into that with boldness. And whether, whether not everyone likes it or not, I'm going to step into that, that call unashamedly today. And if that's you and you're out there, ladies, raise your hands. Father, I thank you for the ladies that have their hands raised, that they'll be bold and step into leadership, what you call them to do. And they're anointed and who they are will become evident. And we thank you for the power of God operating through them in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship God again. The first part of that song said, you're moving right in front of me. And I just have this picture of God moving back and forth in front of us. And there are some people who are like, God, I need a miracle. And I know exactly what it is. But there are others that are here that are like, mm, God's moving. He's just walking back and forth in front of all this congregation. And I feel like the Lord is saying, you may not know the miracle that I need to do in your life, but I know it. And it's almost like, a, don't just sit there passively, be like, Lord, that's me. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that you have a miracle for me today. I may not even know that I'm going to be, I need something from you that I'm going to give to somebody else. And so I feel like he's moving back and forth, and we're just kind of sitting there, standing there smiling and being like, God, oh, what are you doing for people here today? When he's saying, I want to do it for you. So I just feel like, man, if that's you, as we sing this again,
just raise your hand or take a little step in towards the Lord like you're responding. I see you moving in front of me. I'm coming close. I'm saying yes. And just, and just surrender. Submit to him and let him do that miracle in you this morning. Matter of fact, if, if that's you and it bears witness, during this worship, come up to the altar. No, we don't have actual benches here, but the Lord's opening the altars again to the church. Well, the Lord wants to minister to somebody. It's an act of faith. Well, I can get it here, yeah? But something about an act of faith, an action that you do. So if that's you, we want to step into that. And the God of miracles is here. You may know that what miracle you need, and you may not know, but the Lord knows there's a miracle that's going to take place in you. So if that's you, come up to the altar today during this worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can you guys hear me? <laughs> Isn't Jesus amazing? You know, the, the, the word that Pastor Joanne and, and Pastor Rick gave and then just the worship, it's all, it's all leading to one thing. You know, don't trust your feelings. Your feelings are subject to change. God says his word, his word always remains. His word is a lamp unto your feet. It doesn't matter what you're feeling because your feelings will change. Your circumstances, they will change. But God never does. So why are you trusting your feelings instead of God and who he is and what he says? So he says, let my word be a lamp unto your feet. Let my word guide your path. Follow me. Don't follow your feelings because you've, you've, everybody's been through impossible or circumstances that feel impossible, but they're not. We just sang it. Nothing's impossible for him, right? And when you're in him, nothing's impossible for you because you're in him. Amen? So instead of trusting your feelings, trust his word. Let his word guide you. Let his word be a lamp to your feet. Don't change your mind about God because of your circumstance. God never changes, but your circumstance does. Amen? Amen. Good morning, my name is Ruth. So last week I wasn't here, but two weeks ago I was sitting here and the Lord gave me a word for all of you. But I didn't have the guts to get up because I usually don't speak in front of all these people. The Lord wants me to tell you that he loves you so, so much. And in case you don't know more how much how love really feels, we have some moms in here. Do you remember the first time you gave birth to your first child and you saw your child the first time? And you looked this little girl or the little boy in his face and your heart was jumping like it was jumping out of your chest. There was not enough room there to cover all the love you had for this newborn. Or dads, when you had your child the first time in your hands, how did you feel? How much love did you have in this moment? Do you remember? The love was almost, I still get goosebumps. I have only one child, right? But this is how much the Lord loves you. And yes, for the people who are not parents, one of your parents loved you unconditionally, hopefully both of them, but sometimes this was only one of the parents. You always could run to this mom or dad and there was always love there and you felt safe and you could share everything. And some of us maybe didn't have parents either, but there was always a grandparents loved us more than we could imagine. This is how the Lord wants me to, to express to you how much he loves you and even more than that. And yes, many of us are alone in our cars and we feel alone because we live alone. We are never alone. Just reach out, just to think, Lord, you love me every morning, every day, every second of our life. Don't ever feel alone. Don't ever feel not loved. He loves you. And I'm so happy to share this with all of you. God bless you all. Amen. I like after that word about God's love so intense 
And the first thing we sang after that was, whoa, 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 whoa. Thank you for being loosed. We set free. There are some people bound by fear. The Lord says you're loosed. You're free. Amen. You can be seated. So, um, two weeks ago, I had a vision during worship, and I didn't really understand it. And I, the Lord showed me this picture of rice paddy fields for miles and miles and miles, as far as I could see. And I don't know anything about rice, and I wasn't hungry. So, I know the Lord was teaching me something. So, I went home, and for a couple of days, I've been studying, like, how rice planting works. And I didn't make the connection until Rick, uh, until Pastor Joanne um, had people come up. And the Lord just dropped this in my spirit that this word is for the offering. And do you know that when they plant, um, I feel like when people were coming up for a miracle, many people were coming up for a financial miracle or people were wanting to move forward or they wanted to grow. And, you know, when um, rice is planted, it's like, you know, how in the Old Testament, have you seen those pictures when they scatter the seed? That's how they plant rice. And so they scatter the rice in these paddy fields, right? And then they pour water over the seeds. And the reason they do that is to keep bacteria off of the seeds of the little plants that grow. Then they take the water out again and they put clean water when the plants are a little bit bigger. And I feel like the Lord's saying, you've, you've maybe scattered a little bit of seeds. Maybe you've tried it. Maybe you're struggling with finances. Maybe you're struggling to believe God financially. But I hear the Lord say, some of you have to put your hand in and you have to give big. You have to scatter so big. You have to, because that is the trust that you have in God. Other ones of you, you need to speak and expect the Holy Ghost. You need to pray in the Spirit. Expect God. Put the water on the seed that you've already got in the ground. The Lord will not fail you. And other people, maybe you're just seeing a little bit of harvest, a little bit, the little tiny plants. And the Lord's saying now more than ever is when you have to proclaim it and you have to trust that the Holy Ghost pray in the Spirit and expect the seed to come back to you. This is good ground to give in. If you're not giving, give. Trust God. Scatter your seeds. Speak the word. But make your expectancy that you can trust God, that He loves you, that He has for you what you're expecting and more. Amen?